And as we prepare to approach God's word together, would you pray with me? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our will that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. This morning, God's word comes to us from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. This is one of today's assigned lectionary texts, and it does a great job of preparing our hearts to enter the season of Epiphany. Over Advent, Pastor Stephen preached four gospel texts that both led us through the Christmas story and reminded us not to be afraid. On Christmas Eve, we remembered Mary's song from Luke chapter 1, which longs for a society that cares for the least of these. And today we visit the young church in Ephesus to remember our calling as we begin another year to remember how we be. We know from the letter to the Colossians that a Gentile congregation was established in Colossae by a minister named Epaphras. Epaphras was struggling to lead believers in a conversation about what it means to have new life in Christ. Epaphras and his community were asking important questions for the very first time. Questions like, What are the implications of Christ's victory over the grave? When do we experience those implications? Does that happen right now or after we die, when Christ returns? And do those implications look the same for everyone? The believers in Colossae, alongside Paul, Epaphras, and other early church leaders, asked these questions after the world's first Easter, and we've been doing the same thing ever since. As we come to our text this morning, we are listening into some really good, really early ideas about what it means to live in the reality of the resurrection. If those words just sounded familiar, we did encounter this text together in April, good memory, and today we come back to it once again. May God fill us with peace as we hear these words. From Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, such as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, 
whether in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we receive these words this morning, we do so in a beautiful sanctuary, surrounded, if you haven't noticed in a while, by these colorful stained glass pieces of artwork that remind us of God's stories. We're comfortable in our padded pews in this warm church, thanks to the likes of Howard Bauman and Dave Hookstra, who helped to select these pews and to keep the boiler running. We receive these words in the presence of others with family, friends, familiar faces. We are not alone. We're safe in this space. We're comfortable. Thanks be to God, but what a contrast compared to Paul's experience when these words were originally written. Traditionally, Paul wrote Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon while under house arrest in Rome. According to Acts 28, Paul was under house arrest because of yet another squabble between himself and Jewish leaders regarding Jesus' authority as the Messiah of the Jew and Gentile. Messages like this caused public disputes, which upset the Roman authorities and landed Paul in prison several times. Paul was allowed to have visitors while under house arrest and to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom, but his days were full of uncertainty. How long would he be in this position? Would the day come when the Roman guards would no longer allow visitors? What would happen to him if the Gentiles and new Christian converts caused more uproar? What would happen to them? We know from these letters that Paul spent a lot of time in prayer. Perhaps you too understand what it feels like to know all you can do is pray, to have absolutely no control over what happens next. Paul begins his letter to the Colossians with prayer. He writes this to them in chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I can see Paul pacing around in the house, murmuring these prayers under his breath, writing them down, eagerly awaiting the next visitor to bring him an update about the churches in Colossae, Ephesus, Rome, Thessalonica, and Philippi. I can imagine his deep joy as he learned of their growing faith and his frustration as they struggled to understand 
how Jesus fit into the bigger picture of who God is. I can imagine the worried looks on Paul's face as those he loved suffered and died because of their belief in Jesus. It's because of this context that I find Paul's words particularly inspiring today. It's in the face of this uncertainty, pain, and misunderstanding that Paul encourages the Colossians to clothe themselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. They are to bear with one another when they don't want to bear with one another, when they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, when they disagree or just don't know any better, and when the last thing they want to do is extend grace to one another. The word for clothe yourselves from verse 12 doesn't have a special or additional meaning in Greek. It simply means put your clothes on. But I love this metaphor because putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience is a choice that we make, just like you choose what clothes you put on in the morning. You wake up, you rummage through your closet, you ask yourself, what am I doing today? What's the weather like? What do I need? And you dress accordingly. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience aren't just things that happen to you when you decide to follow Jesus. They're qualities you need to put on, to choose to respond with. Eric, my husband, constantly teases me because I am never dressed for the occasion. When we went hiking with his brother Kyle and his girlfriend Erica in Denver, I nearly forgot to pack multiple layers of clothing, which if you go hiking, you know it's really important to have layers. When we visited his parents in Holland, attending to explore the Saugatuck dunes, of course, this flat-footed girl only packed flip-flops. When we went on vacation this past November in Asheville, I brought my heaviest winter coat for the 60-degree weather. Pastor Steve and Jennifer and Rachel have seen me come to work dressed in my thickest sweater for a warm day and in a dress on a windy day. I am not good at dressing for the occasion. If compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience are all options in this metaphorical closet, I wonder what other choices there are. Knowing God, there has to be some prayer, mercy, justice, strength, anger to choose from. Likely endurance, thankfulness, peace and hope are in there as well. The invitation in verse 12 is to look through this wardrobe God picked out for you and clothe yourself with what you need. Put it on. Don't wait for someone else to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself with it. The message translation of Colossians 3, 12 to 14, puts it this way. Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. 
I can't hike the dunes of Michigan or the mountains of Colorado if I'm not wearing the appropriate layers and footwear. I can't enjoy the inviting North Carolina breezes if I'm cocooned in a heavy winter coat. Similarly, how can I respond empathetically if I'm wearing judgment? How can I practice discipline if I'm wearing indecisiveness? How can I be gentle if I'm wearing fear? In other words, is what you are wearing today preparing you to be able to live in love and peace? Or is what you're wearing making it impossible for you to live in love and in peace? Are you dressed for the occasion to offer love and to offer peace? If you're not, what do you need to take off? What do you need to put on? In our Church's Learning Change community, the Ritter folks, we use the language, how we be, which I know isn't necessarily grammatically correct, but how we be, to describe different realities, which are sometimes in sync and sometimes not. These realities describe how God calls us to be, the standard we hold our community to, and how we actually be in any given moment. So how God calls us to be, the standard we hold our community to, and how we actually be in any given moment. For example, we believe in Churches Learning Change that God calls us to be authentic, to practice integrity, and to be courageous. So we hold our community to a high standard of authenticity, integrity, and courage. Sometimes the individuals in our group practice authenticity, integrity, and courage in really powerful ways, and we thank them for modeling that learning and remembering how we be as God's people, who God has called us to be. And sometimes individuals in our group are frustrated or scared, grieving or too tired to engage our work together, and that's how they be in that particular moment. Whenever, whenever we gather together for these Churches Learning Change retreats, our leaders invite us to consider how we be. That's the first thing we do, how we be. We recognize the stresses from home or work life that we've come with, the different sources of anxiety gnawing at us, the places we're feeling distracted or unequipped, and we're invited to choose to put on, to clothe ourselves, with authenticity, integrity, and courage, to practice being present with one another, to encourage one another, and to make space for grace as we work really hard to grow as disciples of Jesus. In our most recent retreat, we learned about crucial conversations. And I was very impressed and proud of how our North Holland team approached that content. We were authentic and brave with one another, sharing crucial conversations we know we need to have with specific people, conversations in which we need to apologize or create boundaries or be more clear or express that we were hurt or misunderstood in ways that do not allow that relationship to flourish. 
We gave our word to pursuing these crucial conversations, even though it might be painful or awkward to do so, not because we enjoy doing things that freak us out and make other people feel uncomfortable, but because we believe it's important to pursue authenticity, integrity, and courage, even when doing so is messy. We believe that is how we be as God's people. I think Paul would say that we be holy, dearly loved, compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, quick to forgive, loving, and grateful peacekeepers. In all things, whether in word or in deed, that is how we be. It's not always how we act, but it's how we be. And that's the standard Paul holds the Colossian church to. As we come to the close of another year, I wonder how you be. As I look back on 2018, to be honest, I be a bit exhausted. Eric graduated from medical school this spring and started a wonderful internal medicine residency and a great program, and the hours are grueling. We moved into our first home, which has been incredible and a lot of work. The new addition here at church is a treasure from God, and it's been a significant learning curve for our staff. Pray for Pastor Stephen. It's been a year of jumping into things I know God is calling me to and calling us to, but I don't always feel equipped to handle those things. It's been a year of lots of prayer. I look back on this year and know I have worked hard to lean into gentleness and compassion in my marriage with Eric. I know I've conjured up humility before God and with the Crossing Core team as we launched a brand new after-school program in January. I know I've practiced love and authenticity in my life group. I also know there have been many times, like this morning on my way here, when people cut me off on the drive and I gladly withhold forgiveness from them. Times I've allowed anxiety to rule in my heart, and deeds I have done not in the name of Jesus, but in the name of myself. And in all of that, and through all of that, I know that I am a chosen child of God who is dearly loved and called to clothe myself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience every day. I'm going to read this text for us again. And as I do, I invite you to know that for yourself. You are a chosen child of God. And that means you be love, peace, and gratitude everywhere you go. In all of your interactions with others and even in the unseen places of your soul, that's who you be. That's not always how you'll choose to act, though. So take this moment, as I read this text again, to allow God to reveal in you the things you may need to take off in order to put something else on. If you need to close your eyes, if that helps you to pay attention, do so. Follow along in the Bible, if that helps you to do so. But hear these words fresh again. Therefore, 
as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may recall that when we received this text in April, we learned that the Greek verb used for rule in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, means to decide, determine, direct, control, or to be an umpire. I probably made a sports joke. Remember with me, the peace of Christ is the umpire of our hearts. It's peace that is calling the shots, not fear or wrath or judgment. When we notice anxiety or uneasiness creeping into our hearts, or when we're tempted to respond in a way that belittles ourselves or our neighbors, imagine the umpire of peace calling a timeout <laughs> and inviting us back to the truth that we are beloved children of God who be compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We are a people who bear with one another, a people who forgive and lean into love, a people who encourage one another with gratitude. We do all things, all things, in the name of Jesus. And when we will forget all of that and lose our way, it's peace that will bring us back. This is really hard work to do, and it's especially hard when there are other things, really important things, going on at church, at school, at work, in our families, in our country, and in us. We believe that God gives his grace and Holy Spirit to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for what we need most. So let's practice that now as we remember how we be. Let's, let's pray together. God of peace, in the season of Advent, we meet a God who is vulnerable, a God who empties himself and takes on human form to draw near to us. In the spirit of that vulnerability, we come before you with the cries of our hearts. We pray for those among us who are bitter and resentful, feeling life has given them a raw deal, those who are sensitive to criticism and quick to take offense, and those who desire their own way whatever the inconvenience or cost to others. We pray for those among us who are lonely, who are shy or self-conscious, who find it hard to make friends, those who might feel nervous or timid, 
like strangers everywhere they go. We pray for those among us who are angry, feeling unheard and unnoticed by family, friends, or coworkers, those who are confused and overwhelmed by tragedy or grief, or shell-shocked by the careless behavior of others. We pray for those among us who live with regrets, for loving relationships brought to ruin, for opportunities freely given and woefully taken advantage of, for the bitterness of defeat or betrayal at another's hand, or for failure in personal integrity. We pray for those among us who are afraid, for parents who do not know where the next meal is coming from, for children and youth facing bullies at school, for people stuck in cycles of abuse or addiction. We pray for those among us who are doubting, unsure if those doubts should be spoken aloud, for those who need assurance that they are not alone and that they are loved by you. God of peace, help us put on compassion, especially when we disagree with one another. Teach us to put on kindness, even when we're at the end of our rope. May we practice humility, particularly when we're feeling overly confident. Give us a gentle spirit, even though others may be abrasive toward us. Help us put on patience, especially when those around us lack integrity. Grant us a forgiving heart, though it may be easier to keep a record of wrongs. God, bless us with an abundance of love, peace, and gratitude as we seek to honor you in all the things we say and all the things we do. We pray this together in your holy and precious name. Amen.